In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We have in our gospel today a picture of God through Christ embodying compassion. He's been about healing unlikely people like the centurion slave. He's made comments of this centurion's faith and his authority to heal. And now he's traveling to a little city of Nan, where he sees a widow coming out with a procession. And I, I just imagine that there's two crowds that are getting ready to collide in this story. That could be uncomfortable. And it is in that he does what is not normally done. Normally, they would make way for the grieving widow and her crowd. And in that culture, they would be beating and tearing their clothing in grief. It would be fresh grief because the Jewish tradition is to bury within 24 hours. So the body had been prepared, this only son, and with him her hope of sustenance. Because a widow... Very often in that day, that was their retirement plan to have children to care for them. So she is facing being destitute with his son's death. We don't hear a lot of explanation other than that Christ was moved to compassion. The original language is that his, it's like his bowels were turned, that he was turned over to doing something for this woman's suffering. And the beautiful thing here is that he crosses again, as he does time after time, social boundaries, religious boundaries, and he goes and touches the briar. But before that even happens, what I love is that he saw her. One of the things in being your pastor is that I have seen how people treat the elderly with different eyes. I was with one of our members at a dinner one time. She is one of our most senior members. And as we sat through this dinner, I noted that people did not even speak to her. It was as if she was not there. I was outraged. First, that they could be so cold, and second, that they were missing out on one of the sweetest people I know. But he saw her. Jesus saw this woman in the fullness of her circumstance. And it was in seeing the full measure of what it meant that she was bearing the son, that he saw her grief, that he had compassion, that he was moved to take action. And so he spoke to her and said, do not weep. Now, not in the way that we might do sometimes when we're uncomfortable with someone's grief of saying, don't cry, 
because it's about us and being uncomfortable, but rather it was, don't weep because I have come to restore you. And so he came forward, stopping the funeral procession. Now this is a ruckus. Can you picture that? This, have you seen that on television, how they in those in the Middle Eastern countries will rip their clothing and they have the whalers going in front of them beating their chest and he stops. And he goes and touches the unclean briar, ceremonially unclean, which would therefore defile him. He touches that. He touches the briar and the bearers stood still. I bet they stood still like, what is happening here? And then he spoke to this young man. Young man, I say to you, rise. And the dead man did just as he said. Because these words were of words of authority from God himself over life and death. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Well, the scripture goes on to say that fear seized all of them. Well, I imagine it did. That it was a a holy fear, an awe, a joy, a wonder. And their response was to glorify God. And they said, surely a prophet is risen among us, and God has looked favorably on his people. And the word spread about, the word spread that God had compassion. Now, The Hebrew knowledge of God is that he is a God of compassion. That's like the paramount understanding of God is that he is a God of compassion. But what is notable here is that Christ is coming like Elijah, Elisha. As a prophet, he's restoring. But he is so much more than that, which Luke will go and expand on further. God has come to help his people. Jesus' healing actions point to God's restoration is now begun in Jesus Christ. Surely that is good news for any of us who need restoration in our lives in some way. That it's not all up to us. It's not about him hearing our faith, and if we have enough, that he will respond, but that he knows the circumstances of our lives and cares. He means to restore, to make whole. Other examples of where Jesus is doing this healing activity and the crowd's response are when Jesus heals the paralytic, the people are amazed and they, are, they glorify God and they were filled with awe. When he heals the demon-possessed boy, all were astounded at the greatness of God. And when he heals the woman suffering, they again are in awe. What an amazing grace. What an amazing God. And I think it's important that we stop 
the busyness that we stop and take note, that is God's nature to have compassion, to have mercy on us and on the very weakest in society, the orphans, the widows, the poor, And I would contend that it is imperative that we as church relearn, recapture this idea of compassion, what it means to suffer together. I went looking at definitions of compassion, and there's now this whole category that was never there before called emotion researchers. They define it as a feeling that arises when you are confronted with another's suffering and feel motivated to relieve that suffering. See, compassion isn't the same as empathy and altruism. Although they're related, Empathy refers more generally to our ability to take the perspective of and feel the emotions of another person. Put yourself in the shoes of another, right? Compassion is when those feelings and thoughts include a desire to help. It's not about just looking on and doing nothing. Altruism, in turn, is the kind selfless behavior often prompted by feelings of of compassion. That one can feel compassion without acting on it. And altruism isn't always motivated by compassion. Here's an interesting thing that cynics may dismiss compassion as touchy-feely or irrational that scientists have started to map the biological basis for compassion. Do you see how all these learned people are focusing in on compassion? Isn't that curious? And that they are suggesting that it has a deep evolutionary purpose. They're trying to explain this. They're mapping the brain's response to it and saying that the brain chemistry actually changes when we engage in compassion for another. All that to say, I think it's pretty important. And it's pretty important that we reconnect with God, who is the compassionate one, and that we begin to look at how do we emulate that in our lives. How do we emulate that as a community? There are a lot of different ways of being trained in compassion. It's important to look at those and to certainly try some of those on. There is this idea of self-compassion that I've talked with you about of how is it that we can note our own suffering and be present to that and say, this is hard what you're going through. 
but that the common denominator is to know is that we're not alone in our suffering. That others suffer. It's part of the human condition. And then to be able to say to ourselves or to another, this is really hard what you're going through. But I am with you in this. Because there are some sufferings we cannot fix. As I journey with our sweet David Ray, who's dying of cancer, I can't fix that. As much as I pray for his healing, there is this suffering, but yet I can go and be with. Who is suffering in your world? Who might God be calling you to extend compassion? And compassion is not fixing it, trying to take it away, but it's entering in and letting that person guide you. It's also not taking on so much of the feelings that you're swamped and feel like they're your feelings. So there are things to learn anew about compassion that I hope that we'll explore, explore over this coming year because it is critical that we learn how to be compassionate with one another, within our community, and in the wider community, that we bring back to the heart of church what it is to be ones who follow and emulate the God of compassion who loves us and intends to restore us through Jesus Christ. Amen.